Good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Muliadi Hartano. Today I will be reading the scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to 34. I invite you to open your Bibles and read along with me. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had, he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat and of the, so and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. But other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the God's word. Uh, I want to just say thank you to Nadia for sharing that report about what God's doing in Ukraine. As I've been thinking about it, you know, um, most of my thoughts are to the horrors of the war. And it's like I forgot that God could use that for good. And I was blessed by that reminder of how God is bringing people to himself through the, the horrors of that in the midst of trials and pain. God does good through that. Thank you for that reminder. Um, well, it's good to be with you all today um, as we continue in 1 Corinthians. We are going to be studying the Lord's Supper today. And in comparison, last week, uh, Paul uh, commended the Corinthian church for the way they were handling gender roles. I don't know if you guys remember that. He's like, hey, you guys are doing a good job. I think it's the only time he says that to the Corinthians. 
You guys are doing a good job there incorporating the, the women and the men in an overall good way into the worship service, praying and prophesying. Um, but then he quickly pivots back to his normal tone and is frustrated with the Corinthians. They are blowing it when it comes to the Lord's Supper pretty bad. And just to help, help us understand what was going on, I was reflecting on a recent car ride I had with the junior high boys. They're sitting in the back out in the lobby. Um, make sure to say hi to them and make them feel loved and welcomed. Um, but uh, something surprising happened. It was, a, it was a van full of junior high boys, and um, they started to sing the Backstreet Boys. And it, it's not because it came on the radio. This was Spotify. I mean, you had, to, you had to select it. And they are singing their hearts out. And um, now, I, to be fair, there was some protest. Not everybody wanted to do that. Some were, were squirming and struggling, as, as I was. Um, and it just struck me that, you know, the, the deal with the boy band, you know, the whole boy band phenomenon is the idea that you have these, this, this highly curated group of people that that's, uh, fit a very narrow set of attributes, right? Highly exclu- exclusive. And you need to look a certain way. You need to have a certain vibe. You need to have a certain talent. And then you can be in this band, highly exclusive, which is not a problem if you're trying to entertain, right? Boy bands have great entertainment value. I will, I will um, acknowledge that. Um, I sometimes let NSYNC uh, roll when I'm on the, on the radio. I don't mind them as, as much as the Backstreet Boys. Um, but the problem is they make a bad model for community because they're based on shallow distinctions and the only time that this is really the case in life, at least should be, is high school, right? High school is where we kind of curate our social groups based on shallow distinctions of GPA or appearance or athleticism, all the things that just wreak havoc on our self-esteem, right? And I wonder how anybody gets through high school. What a horrible time to have to try to make it. So pray for our high schoolers. Um, but it appears that the Corinthian church did not get the memo that God's people especially should not do community according to tasteless and worldly distinctions that we see in high school and we see represented metaphorically in our boy bands. And so um, what Paul is going to say is that the pesky issue of division and factions curated groups of people is just continuing to show up and it's bothering Paul. It's ruining their witness and their experience of community. And it shows up in a surprising place here in the, the way they practice the Lord's Supper. This little ritual we do every Sunday apparently was where these divisions was showing up. And so Paul is going to have some Harsh words for them, in case you missed it. You are despising the church of God in the way that you are practicing the Lord's Supper. Could you imagine? We are doing what God said, but we're doing it in a way that's actually bringing judgment on ourselves. This is a serious matter we are participating in, friends. And he says you are bringing to shame people who have nothing. So we need to pay attention as a church 
Because I think all of us can identify with the longing to belong in community where we are loved unconditionally because all of us are probably aware that there are things about us that are less than others, are different than others, um, and uh, there are ways in which we sense we are have-nots, and we don't want that to matter in the way we experience love from people. We want to be loved unconditionally, and we come to the church to experience that. That's where the church, we should major in not um, worrying or making too much of a fuss of these worldly distinctions. Um, And yet, instead, when we go to church, we find that maybe subtly, but very felt, a very felt pressure to measure up. So we need to be aware of the problem that was plaguing the Corinthians because it probably is showing up in our church in some ways. So we need to look at this. So we're going to look at the danger to Christian community. We're going to look at the power of the Lord's Supper to um, uh, confront that danger and protect against that danger. And then we're going to look at how do we participate rightly in this ritual. It's not just an empty ritual. We have to put intentionality in our hearts about how we approach this. So let's look at the danger. So in verse 18, Paul says, in, for in the first place, so he's saying, hey, I don't commend you. I'm not happy about this, and we're going to find out why. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And so Paul is identifying the problem that divisions and factions are showing up um, so what, where, what's going on with that? And so in verse 19, he says, I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So Paul's beginning, we're beginning to see what is going on here. Now, verse 19 is a little confusing. There's two ways to interpret what Paul even means here. The first way is that Paul is acknowledging that there needs to be different groups of people in the church because you have to acknowledge who are the genuine Christians, who are genuinely approved by God. So that word for genuine in the Greek often is a, used as approved or tested by God. It's usually a Paul uses that word positively. Um, and so what he's essentially saying is, I realize there's ways you need to make distinctions, but you're doing it all wrong. Maybe one way to interpret that. My problem with that interpretation is Paul, the, the context of this is divisions and factions. And those words, Paul never uses positively in the church. Those are always things that he's saying the church must fight against. And so another way to look at this is Paul is essentially being sarcastic. He's saying, I believe you're having divisions and factions showing up because, of course, Those among you who are highly esteemed have to be noticed by others. Of course, those of you who who have distinction in the community, what good is distinction unless you make it visible? So I believe that you guys would be having these factions showing up because the important people amongst you need to make it known to everyone else who is important. That fits more with Paul's tone and approach. And so um, that begins to give us some clarity as to what was going on, but then we're going to see it unfolding in the actual practice of communion. So verse 20, here's how, his, here's how their dis- need for distinction is showing up. 
Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're doing it so badly, I can't even call it the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and check this out, another goes drunk. What? Yeah, seriously, right? Someone is going hungry, others are getting drunk. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Um, A little awkward that Paul doesn't actually confront drunkenness. He says, can't you go eat and drink in your own home? Why are you doing this in the Lord's Supper? Or do you not, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? The first thing we can see about the Lord's Supper is just very early on, it was already assumed by Paul that the Lord's Supper was meant to be experienced corporately, right? So Paul is saying, this is not a private dinner. And so he's criticizing the Corinthians for saying, look, if you want to have a meal and have a party, go in your own houses. This is a corporate experience for everybody. And also we're going to see when it's when you come together, the church was already doing this regularly. So the Lord's Supper is a corporate activity of a church body, and it is to be done regularly. I'm not going to say that the church... That Paul commands weekly, but weekly makes sense because it's when we corporately gather that we would be participating. Um, and so what's happening is people are eating their own meals in a way, they were going to the Lord's Supper and eating it in a way that some were being deprived of eating it and some were overindulging. They were actually getting drunk. And so to help us understand what was going on, archaeology will help us. Kind of what is happening, the way we do communion. Could you imagine anyone coming and getting drunk and, and going hungry because they didn't get enough of these little pieces of whatever they are, bread? The little, we cut them in little tiny pieces. So what was going on? So, so looking at archaeology, um, we can look at the way Roman houses, we can look at the floor plan of a Roman house. So I want you to throw that up there. And so what would happen is the, the, there was a room called the triclinium. Can you guys see that up on the left there? And that was the dining room. It was about 200 to 400 square feet. So um, those of you who are spatially uh, competent can figure that out. The rest of you are like, what? Um, so the dining room, it's, you know, just a, it's, it, that's about like a big dining room, is where they would um, uh, have the Lord's Supper, and uh, so here's what it would look like. Next slide. Here's a, tri- uh, the, a recreation of a triclinium. And so this is the way they would eat. They would recline on these bed-like, table-like things. Um, and here's what it might look like with people on them, a, re- a drawing of it. And so this is why you would see, for example, they, they reclining at the table. You're going to see that in the Gospels. They're eating and reclining. This is what they're doing as they're eating. A little odd to lay down and eat. Have you guys ever done that? I mean, I guess in bed, I don't know, but laying on your stomach. Anyways, um, this is what they would do. Now, what I want you to notice, how many people fit, on, fit there? How many people can be a part of that kind of experience? Maybe 9, 10, 12? And so what was happening is that in a Roman culture, it is a highly honor-shame 
culture. And so when, so the table, who ate at your table was a matter of who had distinction amongst you, would get the best seats at the table. And it conveyed and demonstrated the honor of those guests by where they sat at the table. And so what Paul is saying, what is happening, is that the Corinthians are subjecting the Lord's Supper to cultural customs of the day. And Paul says, no, you didn't. Don't tell me you're doing that with the Lord's Supper. When you come together, Paul is going to say, you will participate according to one principle, not a matter of honor and distinction according to worldly customs, but according to one principle, the body and blood of Christ. When you come together, it will be kingdom over culture. It will be gospel identity over any other earthly distinction. It does not matter your age, your wealth, your status in society. I don't want any of that coming close to what this table, the Lord's Supper, is supposed to be about. Don't you dare slide in those cultural customs and destroy the purpose, the purity of the Lord's Supper. So what does this mean for us? Well, one thing it did for me, and um, you know, I've, I don't know if, you're, if you have struggled with this. I have actually struggled with why the Lord's Supper is such a basic um, event. Like, why do we do this little, is this really meaningful? I mean, it's so small. It's so little. Why are we doing this? I've struggled with that. Well, this, this, studying this put that to rest for me a little bit. I actually believe this is a corrective. The church has actually done a good job correcting this problem by simplifying the communion ritual. And what Paul is saying is that when you make it a full meal, you actually introduce social tensions that can distract from the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Because if you think about what table fellowship is about, it's beautiful. We want to do it, but by nature it's exclusive. You cannot invite everybody over to dinner. You, when you have a dinner party, you by nature are curating it. You are inviting a certain person because of a certain relationship you have with them. Nothing wrong with that, but that's going to destroy the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That must be a separate activity. And that's what Paul's saying. So the beauty of this simple ritual is the form helps us maintain our focus on the purpose of it, which is our corporate participation together in the body and blood of Jesus Christ regularly, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter how long you've been a part of this church, no matter what your position is, that's what the Lord's Supper is. And so let's not let anything distract from that, even if it's good fellowship, but unfortunately, that just inevitably introduces tensions and dramas um, that can distract us. So, the, lot, and the second, second thing that I want to say about what we can learn from the Corinthians problem, because the way we do it now, we're not going to see us struggling with, with 
Factions and divisions in the way we take communion. We've, we've, the form has removed that. But are there other ways that, that these distinctions among us are um, beginning to affect the way we experience uh, community? And so we must be vigilant about the ways, the culturally ingrained ways of experiencing status and importance because those run deep. We are drawn like a moth to a flame on the things that make us and affirm the distinctions that we want to be true of us. And so we will unconsciously maybe, but very, very um, clearly, if we're not vigilant, begin to um, gravitate towards a very curated form of doing community, a very boy bandish way of doing church life. Because we're letting the shallow distinctions dictate our fellowship, dictate the way we love people. And so my question to you then is, where are, what are some of the unconscious biases that you can identify that make you want to accept or reject somebody? What are the, are you looking through uh, people through the lens of grace as someone who Christ died for, or are you looking through some form of status or earthly status um, and the things that we give a quick bias for or against? Um, and Paul is saying, you know, Paul uses this phrase, you put to shame those who have nothing. And commentators have even paraphrased that as the have-nots. Who are your have-nots? You look at them and they're like, oh, they're a have-not. And then you look at other people because of certain things, they're the haves, and you get more excited. So we need to pay attention to this. Do you have friends, good friends, of different backgrounds than you? Are our social and spending habits hospitable to people with less money? I think of clear... Um, problem and the have-nots were probably poor. People who were wealthy had distinction. They got to sit in the triclinium. They got to be at the table and the rest had to wait outside and they were probably the poor. And so do we have habits as a church that make it difficult for people who are poor to engage in community with us because we're mostly upper middle class does education, wealth, age, appearance, cultural, ethnic backgrounds, do these have too big a sway over how we experience community? These are tough questions. These are questions we have to wrestle with individually in your own hearts and collectively as a church. Our home groups and the way those are formed. Our leadership communities and the way those are formed. And so that's the danger is that we're placing culture over Christ And so the Lord's Supper is actually a way to militate against that because it's the one time that we come together and we signify that this, what our church is about, the most defining aspect of anyone that's a part of this church is that they are part of the blood and body of Jesus Christ and that work for them. And so... What we want to do is ask, okay, so then what is happening when we take the Lord's Supper? Why is it so powerful? 
And so Paul gives a description of the Lord's Supper in verse 23. I don't think I have a slide for it. But you guys hear it every time our, um, every time our host um, uh, uh, refers to communion, they quote this passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, so I'll just read that. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul's going to correct them. Here's what Jesus did when he did the Lord's Supper. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, plural, you guys. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we need to do is understand not just what it says, but what is it doing for our community. The problem is divisions and factions. And so when Paul reorients them towards the right way to practice the Lord's Supper, he gives them this verse. And so what is it about this passage that helps us, help us, helps us have a corrective um, in our community, in our church community? And so... Um, what helped unlock this for me was uh, a philosopher named Josiah Ro- uh, Royce. He's, he's from the early 19th century. He had a lot to say about community, and he broke it down, I think, very helpfully. In the community, any community has three attributes, three things about it that allow you to be a true community. Um, and the, those three things are shared memories, so that would be the past, shared activity, the present, and a shared hope. There's something about the past and the present and the future that binds a group of people together. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, all three of those are present for us to bind us in community according to Christ, according to the gospel. So shared memories. Um, You know, Paul says, uh, uh, Jesus says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. We're to remember the Lord's sacrifice. There's something about having memories together that root our identity, um, that help us, as, one, as uh, you could put the quote up there, help us recast and reorder the self. That's right there at the end. Acts of remembering and remembering that we're part of a history and part of a narrative is what helps us know who we are in the present. Is actually by looking at the past. I'm going to be going to, on a family reunion this summer and with my cousins, my mom's side, the Jacobs family. And I promise you, if you've ever done a family reunion, what do you talk about? Memories. All the stuff that's happened. And it feels so good. It's so sweet. Because it roots you in you that you belong. Oh, I remember that. I remember my grandmother would say this to all of us. And now we're laughing about it together. Of course, that's why when we have painful memories, it hurts our identity. And the problem with memories is that they're limiting. What if we don't share in those memories? You know, Solano's been a church for 18 years. And so a lot of us... Don't have the memories of, of that. I've been here for two years. 
And so what can happen is if it's a church can build its identity on the memories of building the church, this church. And what can happen is the longer you've been here, the more status you have, and it can create a kind of hierarchy, right, based on your tenure, and that can cause problems. And so the Lord's Supper keeps that from getting too dominant. Memories are good, all right? It's, it's good to have memories. We celebrate our church anniversary every year. I look forward to that. It's good to know that, but those are not the main things that we should celebrate. There's only one main thing that we should celebrate and is commanded to celebrate. There's only one memory that can support our need for communal belonging despite our many differences, and that's the memory of the Lord's death. That's why you could be an old member, a new member, a longtime member. We're not united by what God did with Solano 10 years ago, but what God did for his people 2,000 years ago. We want to remember that's always what unites us. That is the shared memory. And so that's going to anchor our church as a community of people defined by God's redeeming work through Christ's death. So taking the Lord's Supper will anchor us in this one memory that we all share of what Christ did, that we are a part of that. And so Royce also mentioned that we need to have shared activity. And so notice in verse 6, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When, when we take the Lord's Supper, it's the only time all of us participate in the same purpose, which is to proclaim who Christ is. I realize we only have one preacher that preaches a sermon in words, but did you know all of us preach on a Sunday when we take communion. We're all preaching by standing up and saying, I believe in this body and blood shed not only for me, but for the world, and I want to proclaim that message along with my church. And so we have many, many diverse, um, uh, when we leave here, you all have your agendas and your, your pressures and your many purposes that you're pursuing But when we take communion, we remind each other that we are together in one overarching purpose for our lives, and that's Christ's kingdom coming into our hearts and into the world. And we are all caught up in that as our primary purpose. And we are going to preach that together, not only to ourselves, but to each other and to the world. I love watching you preach when you take communion. I love what you are saying to my heart about what your life is about when you preach. Paul says, I want you guys to, Jesus said this, Paul reaffirmed, I want you to do that regularly. And lastly, communities share a future hope. Royce, he says that future hope is the community projecting its social life into the future. So to be a community, you have to have a sense of we're going somewhere together, right? So I want you to think about a road trip with friends. Right, how exciting that is. We're going on a journey together. Think about um, an engaged couple. Thinking about their future together and what they hope to be true of their families in the future. That's the kind of excitement and bonding God wants us to have together as his people. We are on the road trip of a lifetime 
How about an eternity of lifetimes? We are on that road trip together. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. And he wants us to imagine what it's going to be like when the full marriage comes. He wants us to picture that. He wants us to unite the trajectory of our lives into the certain and thrilling future that we are a part of together of his coming. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're saying to each other, I'm headed to the kingdom with you. Now, that is what is happening when we take the Lord's Supper. We're rooting our identity in the memory of Christ. We are, we are taking up our purpose together as proclaiming the message, and we are um, uniting our futures together in his coming. That's what we are declaring when we take the Lord's Supper. It's powerful for us. And so Paul's going to give us instructions about how we need to approach that. How do we need to approach that? So I'm going to move quickly here to wrap it up, but it's an important part of this passage. So I need to address it. Because look at verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That is scary. You can approach this in a way that brings judgment on you and on us as a church. And so what that means is what we at least need to get from that. I'm probably not going to be able to unpack the whole of this. This is a solemn event. This symbolism that we are doing when you stand up and take this bread, it is real. When you see a husband put this little ring, look at this thing. This thing is tiny. This is tiny. I have pretty skinny fingers too. This is tiny ring, but it has a mountain of significance, doesn't it? What you are pledging when you put that on someone, do you know the, Paul wants you to realize the mountain of significance that is happening in chapter 10, when he talks about communion, he says that, don't you know you are participating in the body and blood of Jesus? That word participation in the Greek is koinonia. It means fellowship. When you eat at someone's house, you're experiencing koinonia. He's saying, don't you know you are being blessed by, you're receiving the benefits of, rejoicing in, identifying with, cooperating with Christ. When you take the Lord's Supper, don't do that lightly. Do it in a worthy manner. So this is more than a ritual. It is an activity that God supernaturally uses in the life of the church to convey his presence in your hearts, in our church, and in the world. That's what this is for. And so, let us take it in a worthy way. I think, you know, Paul says two things here. He says, examine yourself. I think what he means by that is make sure you believe with clarity what this is for. Believe that it is the body and blood of Jesus shed for you. Do you believe that? Do you have conviction about that? Or is it vague in your life? Is it uncertain in your life? So let, um, let the communion table be a milestone from foggy belief to clarity of conviction. 
That's a worthy manner, is that you know that this is, this is participating in what Jesus did for you. So examine yourself, but then Paul says, discern the body. Don't worry about the slides, I'm all over the place at this point. <laughs> Paul says, discern the body. I think that means two things. It means discern what I just said, the, the body meaning the work of Jesus for you. Discern the purpose of this. But it also means discern the community body, the body of Christ. Listen to this in verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I love that. When you guys are taking communion, are you aware of each other? Is there someone missing? That's how intimate this should be. You're aware of everybody. You need to discern the body. I think that means take time to recognize the people in the church. Look at each other. See the faces of people around you. See yourself as one of the family members, as an integral part of this church, as a child amongst children, as your adopted family, maybe a little messed up, all blended families are, but it's your family that God placed you in. That's discerning the body. And so maybe don't take communion. There's maybe a time not take communion if you really don't know who Jesus is for you. And I'm not saying you're gonna, that's, that's, be, that's a punishment, but let it be its own milestone for your faith to say, I'm not ready to take it until I know I believe this. Then take it. I know this is for me, and I'm in the kingdom. Take it. And maybe don't take the communion. Um, if you're not experiencing the closeness of fellowship with us as a church, that you don't identify with us as cherished brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that you're not going to have some problems with people in the church. That's going to happen. But what I'm saying is you overall are struggling to even identify with us as believers. So don't be hasty to take communion in that situation. So let your taking of communion be a reflection of your conviction that Jesus' body and blood is for you and for Solano Church. And you're a part of that. So I think that's my best effort at what it means to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Um, with fear and trembling, I present that to you. Um, difficult passage there. So what we want to do is we're going to close in, pray, in, in communion. And we're going to ask you to come up and pray. And I think this is part of a great picture of, of communion where we are in our togetherness that we pray after we take communion together. So if you have a prayer need that fits with one of those three things, are you struggling to see people through the lens of grace or on the basis of distinction? Are you struggling to believe in the Lord's Supper to renew your hope, to remember your identity, to have a clear purpose that Christ's purpose is yours? Do you need, you need to renew that? And is there something about the gospel you're struggling to understand? Something about our church that you're struggling to feel belonging? And of course, anything else that is going on in your life that you need help with. You know, one thing I didn't get to say about the hope piece. You know, life is extremely difficult. We come here with so many grievances, 
so many injustices, so many angers, illnesses, things that make us just want to quit, want to quit life. And so part of what we have to reclaim in the Lord's Supper is our hope. Our hope of his coming, that he will set everything right, that he will release us from the pain of this life, from these bodies. He will give us new bodies, which Paul is going to spend a glorious like 50 verses on in chapter 15, helping us remember the resurrection. And so many of you, as you come to the table today, it's about reclaiming your hope in Christ's renewal and the bringing of his kingdom. Let me pray. Lord, um, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for giving us this simple reminder ritual, um, as, as simple as a ring on a finger, but a mountain of significance of what you have done for us. That we are people who are united by one thing, it is who you are and what you've done for us. Let that be how we relate to each other all the time so that our love may be full, our divisions may diminish. Lord, you would be glorified. We would truly proclaim you as a body together. And so, Lord, would you even empower our times of communion to have renewed joy, Lord, renewed power because of the real power and presence that you have in this as we do it together, as we do it right